Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 6 of Thronderdome. That is right, it is the world's only Star Wars podcast devoted to the literary canon of Timothy Zahn working with the characters and situations created by George Lucas. I always like that credit if you have like situation created by... That's a great credit. I would like to have that at some point in my life. Um, but yes, Thronderdome, the only podcast devoted to Star Wars and all of the uh, monster men who populate its galaxy far, far away. I am your co-host, Dr. Daniel Doughty. With me, as always, is Ronnie Gardaki. Ronnie, how are you feeling tonight? Well, uh, listeners may not know this, but we've both been uh, sick recently. <laughs> and how, yeah. Yes, this is a bit, the our, our recording has been a bit delayed. It shouldn't affect release schedule at all, but uh, we have had to take some some time away. Uh, fortunately, n- none of my maladies have been like old-timey ones, like when I had gout earlier in this project. Uh, I, I, I've, I've moved up to baby ailments, such as ear infection. <laughs> so, I think, uh, so who knows? I think when you announced that you had that, I... Uh, responded what's next colic yeah yeah i think uh probably next month i'll have croup or perhaps cradle cap uh we shall see but for for now like it was a an disease ear infection. benjamin button <laughs> i'm aging backwards but with diseases so i stole i started out with gout and kabayoff syndrome and now i've i've moved on to uh to uh, uh foot and mouth disease Meanwhile, my immune system is so strong that I developed a cold yesterday and I've already quelled it. Yes, we all know you're very powerful in the Force and you have Jedi virus clearing training. We get it. Some of us aren't so lucky. Some of us have to, some of us have to sweat and, 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 and break our backs working for one of the 10,000 smuggling operations in the galaxy to make our way. But you Jedi, uh, yeah, you have it easy. Um. <laughs> anyway, we we would but also to... like to express condolences to the family of Ray Stevenson. You may be wondering why is this Star Wars podcast uh, commemorating the uh, passing of Ray Stevenson? Well, the uh, the actor was uh, his his last role was in uh, the Star Wars uh, live action spinoff Ashoka, where he played uh, a guy who sounds exactly like a Joris Kabaz, but is not. Uh, yeah, it was like Balin, Balin Gnarls or something. I don't know. Balin Skull. Uh, Balin which, Skull. Which I'm pretty sure I drank a lot of Skull Vodka when I was drinking. <laughs> I, I think I did a lot of Skull Dip when I was uh, chewing backy. Uh, yeah, anyway, but, but to died, say... died young, uh, 58 years old. He was, he's uh, best known for playing uh, Titus Polo on Rome. Uh, he was also... Yes. One of the top four Punishers in uh, Punisher Warzone, and uh... it was it, it was a really terrific uh, a really terrific presence and character actor. Uh, just a real I don't know. It is it is really sad for such a a talent to. But to hey, he will on. live on. Uh, speaking against a bunch of people wearing golf balls on their faces to uh, to signify uh, their being replaced in chroma key by cgi nonsense <laughs> for his true. final role um we can only hope that his performance is the breakout hit character of the series so that he can 
live on zombie-like in the computer banks of the Disney Corporation as they just trot out his uh, CGI model again and again to appear in their many, many future Star Wars properties. Uh, but that concludes our news minute. Um, and again, well, I guess we should say, I don't mean to be disrespectful. Uh, it is very sad for Mr. Stevenson's passing. and we, we I we, do we mean to be disrespectful of Daniel's ear infection. That we do mean to be disrespectful. And I mean to be disrespectful about whatever sort of disease or ailment is going to get you next. Because surely it can't just keep happening to me. Um, uh, it, it will. Well, yeah, it probably will. But speaking of things that keep happening... This book is going on. <laughs> this book keeps happening. <laughs> so uh, we should probably get about five minutes into the recording. We should probably actually get into the actual thing that we do here on the show, which is chapter by chapter recaps of Dark Force Rising, the second book in the Thrawn trilogy. And we are up to chapter 16. Um, and I, I feel like this section was rich with incident. And I say that because my notes ended up being really long. Uh I was going we'll to say this that is, actually this is a book actually improving upon itself, which is a uh, yeah a welcome uh, change from being mired in the muck of just idiots talking <laughs> about the customs of the Nogri and the honor of the Nogri and and the bootleg Klingonness of the Nogri and boy, can you get the sense that I don't like the Nogri? Now, don't worry, Ronnie. We have a Nogri chapter in this section. But we also have a lot of other stuff going on, and I, I, I too am glad that it. Kinda, but also it, well, the no gre- the no gre- part is like, it's like when you uh, when you put put a, put like the medication for the dog inside a inside you know a, a nice piece of meat, <laughs> like there's so much good stuff around the medication you barely notice it. That's right, that's right. But I'm glad that we're continuing with it because we noticed on the last recording we did uh, before uh, I I got. Uh, uh, before I got croup, that uh, we're on an upswing, really. Like we're, I think we're out of the doldrums. We'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. And, and speaking to this, as, as we're continuing with our upswing, Chapter 16 picks up exactly where Chapter 15 left off. If y'all remember from last time, Lando had some suspicions about Bell Eblis, and those were confirmed when they noticed the upholstery on <laughs> the bar chairs was uh, from a... Uh, from a dreadnought and it was specifically from the dark force because only the dark force used this particular pattern of upholstery um truly astonishing levels of being a train guy from lando on that one but it does mean that they need to channel their inner hardy boys and they're going to head back to the 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 lounge the officer's lounge because they noticed that there was a ship's clock, a, a ship chrono hanging up, which, you know, that, that, that does seem fun for the lounge there. I wonder, are there Navy bars in San Diego that have stuff like that? You know, like an old ship's bell hanging up or something? I guess there must be. It was probably based on some fucking bar in Tampa. <laughs> that is true. That is true. We'll have to find the real Bell Iblis bar when we go on our pilgrimage to Tampa. Speaking of the uh, bar, speaking of the bar, just a classic mm-hmm. uh, Timothy Zahn description. Uh, they're talking about like the they're talking about the inside of the bar. It's like they had a good selection here. There were probably a hundred bottles of various shapes and sizes. Yeah, that's what I think of when I think of like you know the selection <laughs> at a bar. It's like, wow, there are hundreds of bottles and there are various shapes and sizes. There are various shapes and sizes, and there's a hundred of them. That's the biggest number. Any, that any means that there's a hundred alcohols there. 
Yes, barkeep, I'll have 100 of your alcohols, please. It just makes it easy. It makes it, it's decimal system. It's the metric system. It's easy. Well, um, instead, the, the, uh, the, the liquor that uh, Han asked for is Vistolo Brandale. And, uh, yes. He wants a, he wants a 46 and I, I spent a long time like trying to figure out like what fucking timeline, like, is this like a situation where the years <laughs> go backwards or not? Good. Well, because if, can, you know, I I'm mean, sure I would know the that, answer if I consulted Wikipedia, but we all know we don't consult. Wikipedia. We never will. We never will. And but I do think you bring up a really good point because presumably this is in the pre-empire dating system, like their BC system. But anyone who was bottling brandy 46 years before the empire was founded wouldn't have known it was 46 years until the empire. So it would have to have some other date on the bottle. So that's a really good. I had not. I did not even catch that. That is really funny. I really also, like that. Just thinking about it, when when Palpatine created the empire and you know. Uh, supplanted the the old republic was you know changing the calendar really top on his on his list of priorities like wasn't it about like authoritarian control and like wiping out the jedi i know there's like precedent in like uh cambodia with year zero but like mm-hmm. i don't know well i th- I, I think, think was... if i was you know the 5000 year old mummy that palpatine is i would be like <laughs> You know what? You know what would really help uh, the creation of this empire? Just completely destroying the calendar system so dates mean nothing anymore. Right. When you're trying, to, when you're trying to enact your new administration, the important thing is to start with a completely different dating system for your. Records. And this may seem pedantic, but it does speak to like the like the Star Wars people not knowing like whether or not the Empire is supposed to have some continuity with the previous government or if it's just completely supposed to be like a Khmer Rouge situation. And I think that it spends a lot of time, like, suggesting the former, what with everybody being able to remember all of the stuff from, like, 30 years ago. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, But leaving aside uh, the, the intricacies of dating systems for now, we'll probably return to it, um, yeah, Han distracts the bartender by asking him to go look for a different different bottle of brandy in the back and uh, joins him back there to, like, you know, keep stretch out the, the distraction as long as he can while Lando is going to try to climb up and get a look at the serial numbers on that dang clock because, as Lando explains, some years ago he got swindled with a fake map to the Katana Fleet or, uh, or Dark Force, as we know it's called because of the lack of interior lighting. Um... And so he figured he'd have to study up on it to be a more convinced to be convincing to unload this fake map on somebody else. So a little bit of um, that's kind of an ass pull. A little bit of autism in the service of uh, scoundrelry. There, I have to I have to respect it. Um, so he's going to know what serial numbers <laughs> the clocks on the ships had. Um, so Han distracts the bartender, uh, gives Lando time to examine the clock. Uh, they come back out from around back and see Lando standing with his hands on the bar and Irenez behind him, one of the uh, one of uh, Bell Iblis's lieutenants, of course. Irenez standing behind him with the the hand her hand on the butt of her blaster, clearly kind of threatening them. But really, she just wants to. She invites them to join her outside. Hop into a land speeder where Cena is waiting for them. Because it turns out they didn't come here to bust Han and Lando for snooping, but to ask them a favor, to convince Mon Mothma. 
to invite Bel Iblis to join the New Republic. See, and this is going to be a sensitive job, and we finally get a little backstory on uh, you know what's going on with Bel Iblis here, because technically Bel Iblis would be rejoining the New Republic. See, because his was one of the charter resistance groups who formed the Rebel Alliance to begin with. The uh, treaty that was signed was called the Corellian Treaty, after all. Han pulls that from school, I guess. or some, Well, I guess this would have been after his schooling. But it was, uh, yeah, the treaty that founded the Rebel Alliance was called the Corellian Treaty. And in fact, it was Bel Iblis who called them together in the first place. Only for Mon Mothma to kind of glad hand and politic her way into becoming the front man of this whole band and getting his own role sidelined. This was all right by Bel Iblis, as long as Bail Organa was also part of this kind of ruling triumvirate. But after he got blown to smithereens on Alderaan, Bel Iblis kind of thought there was really no check on Mothma's ambition. His own ambition was feeling chafed, and he decided to withdraw his forces from the Rebel Alliance. Dude, so, I don't know how someone could vote for Bel Iblis. He's not even a Democrat. <laughs> He's not even a Democrat. Uh, he he caucuses with the Democrats, but is that no, really I mean, what that, isn't that what this whole chapter is word? about? Like, this is, uh, um, uh, uh Bell Iblis's, uh, assistants, like, basically trying to get on to get, to, uh, get, uh, Bell Iblis to caucus with the, uh, New Republic? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, not, yeah, I, I was just kind of working with the extended, uh, 2016 metaphor that we were going with there. But I So I guess, like, Cena is, like, Brianna Joy Gray or something? <laughs> Yes, and uh, Irenez is... Uh, David Sirota. What's his name? David Sirota. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> okay. God, deep pulls. Um, but I want to chew on this for a second. I want to chew on this for a second. So, Bel Iblis was a major figure at the founding moment of the current hegemonic political formation of the New Republic and was part of it up to the events of the Star Wars movies up through the time Han had joined the Rebellion, and he was a childhood hero of Han Solo's. But for some reason, the husband of the only diplomat in the New Republic had never heard about any of this. To be fair, Han Solo is pretty ignorant. I mean, he's not as dumb as Luke, but he's not hes not savvy politically. I mean, like, so Cena explains that this was all suppressed by the rebellion leadership because it was embarrassing after it happened but like presumably the rebel alliance had been functioning for a few years up to the point of the events of the first star wars movie yeah like not like, to throw shade on han solo but he's totally one of those obama to palpatine voters <laughs> all right i'm cutting you off from 2016 reference <laughs> dude just wait till i have my extended huma abedin riff Oh, God, no. Is Winter the Huma Abedin of Star Wars? I will drag this podcast kicking and streaming back into 2016, and you'll do nothing about it. Oh, I... I, mm, We'll see if I don't do anything about it. Can Uh, I just do... I just have one more joke about... Okay, all right, get it out of your system. Okay, I I swear this will be at least my fifth to last joke about the 2016 primary. (laughs) You know... Uh, Velibus turned out to be like essential in the creation of the rebellion, but a lot of people will tell you that he just named a bunch of space post offices. <laughs> That's all right. All right. I'll, that was pretty good. I'm glad I allowed it. Uh, but it is mine to allow or disallow. And now we're cut off. 
Um, Fine, uh, th- dad. This, this uh, I am the dad of this podcast, and it is my child. Um, I just thought all this kind of stretches credulity, but eh, whatever. I'm, I'm happy. You know, Cena said that it was suppressed by the rebellion leadership. Han doesn't have any idea about it, so fucking fine. Um, but it turns out that they've been at this location for three years, actually. They've been holding off on striking against the Empire in case they have to make a move against Chairman Mothma's people's dictatorship forming up over there. But uh, Cena and Arenas, they don't ever see it happening. I, I, get the, I get the impression that Belly Bliss is kind of isolated in his little hidey hole. Like, Serena and Arenas, they're the contacts on New Cove. They presumably kind of get a lot more taste of what's actually going on in the galaxy. I so mean, they hope Han... I mean, New Cove is kind of the Vermont of space. In that it's, it's covered in poisonous jungles. You're right. Um, so, uh, but they hope Han can convince Mon Mothma to offer some kind of face-saving olive branch to Bell Iblis to kind of bring him back on board. So Han says they'll do it if Cena fills them in on the Katana fleet, which Lando was able to confirm from that serial number on the clock. Cena kind of bristles at this. Uh, Han takes that to mean they've already promised the ships to failure for his coup. But Cena insists, no, 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 they promised him nothing. He's not actually plotting a coup because Bothans are all opportunistic politicians who would never act directly. And here's a wonderful bit of spacism about Bothans. I, I have yeah, this gets pretty here. fucking racist pretty quickly. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's take a look. Yes, that's unfortunately another typical Bothan move. A Bothan leader who stumbles is invariably jumped on by all those who want to take over his position. In the distant past, the attacks were literal, knives, and usually death. Now it's been modified to more of a verbal assassination. Progress, I suppose. And then uh, two or three lines later we get, As a rule, Bothans don't stick their necks out far enough to concoct plots of their own. They'd much rather take advantage of other people's. (laughs) So, Cena just really laying on the spacism. And that's especially kind of galling because, like, the Bothans have been keeping them alive. Like, they're the reason why they have food and fuel and stuff when they haven't even done anything for three years. So, maybe cool it with that stuff, huh? Correct me if I'm wrong, but the Bothans were created via a stray live dialogue in Return of the Jedi, right? That is correct, yes. I gotta say, Zahn has not done a good job of fleshing them out to a species of characters that I find interesting nor care about. He, I don't think so either. It's I very think the only note. race of, of uh, Star Wars people's more one-dimensional than the Bothans are the Tusken Raiders, who are just, you know, <laughs> racist. They're just hooting. I think the Bims are pretty one-note. They wear yellow, and they they like to stand in lines. I don't um, know. At least they aren't just, like, fucking uh, stick-waving psychopaths that live in the sand. That's a, that's a good point. I do think it's interesting that, like... At least they can talk. The Bothans, they could talk. They could talk. Um, the thing with the Bothans is interesting because, like, on the one... I presumed that when Failure was introduced, like, it was like, oh, so he's, like, he's a real scheming, backstabby, little finger kind of guy. Okay, I get it. But I do think it is kind of lazy world building and writing to say that, yeah, that's just that alien race's personality. They are all like that. <laughs> it's an entire race of cow-faced little fingers. Come on. Like, mm. Spacism. Bothans do be shopping. They do be shopping. Hey, you know, Bothans, uh, well, uh, uh, Corellians lie like this. But Bothans lie like this. 
Uh, I do like how the only they... reason that Han Solo knows what that treaty was is because it's called the Corellian tr- Treaty. It's like maybe because of the <laughs> Earth Treaty. Right. It does. It lights up the one dim bulb in his brain that's not drowned out by space beer. Cena uh, <laughs> uh, admits that they don't actually know the location of the Dark Force, but just that they came from a little Weasley-faced guy who loves gambling, who says he stumbled on them some 15 years ago, and he kind of supplied them to Bell Iblis's people. All their meetings with the guy have been aboard the Coral Vanda, a luxury cruise submarine with casinos on the planet Pentolamin. Uh, Han decides that's their lead to follow. He wants to move immediately, lest the Imperials beat them to it. But whoops, guess who's waiting for them at the Lady Luck? That's right, Senator Idris Elba Sanders. He's there, ready to catch him red-handed. Nah, it's belly bliss. Uh, Cena cops to filling them in about the Dark Force origin of their dreadnoughts. Uh, but uh, he kind of gets a, you know, he, he picks up what, he sniffs what Cena and Arenas are up to. And he says, I won't go to Mon Mothma. Oh, this was this was this was great. This was um, a little bit of. I think Betsy could have stepped in here. That's I, that's why I have this quote here. It says, "I won't go to Mon Mothma like a beggar pleading to be let in." And then two lines later, he says, "Too many people know what happened between us. I would look like an old fool or like a beggar." And I guess maybe that's like. I will not endorse Mon Mothma. She gave speeches <laughs> to Space Wall Street. <laughs> I think it's I think it's interesting throwing the word beggar in in as many sentences like there's just two or three sentences between uses of the word beggar and like maybe that's a little verisimilitude to how people actually talk you know that's, I think it's know, a reference but... to this is a deep pull the second mm-hmm. Ewok movie uh, I think it was called Battle of Endor or something it's the one with Wilford Brimley uh, yeah 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 Wilford Brimley would often call people beggars in that oh so I think that's the so tip of like the a... cap of the the weird uh, survivalist <laughs> Wilford Brimley character who lived with a rabbit. Yes, maybe so. Maybe so. God, that <laughs> when we get the when we get the bonus episodes running in a couple of years, we're gonna have to do that Ewok movie. Oh, for sure, for sure, absolutely. I I, I remember being pretty impressed with it when I was like eight, but we'll see how it goes now. Some uh, fifty, sixty years later. Um. But anyway, he does agree to let uh, let Han and Lando ride back on the uh, the Dreadnought Harrier, let the Lady Luck ride back to the new Cove system. Um, and from here, we now um, go to the Chimera, where Peleon is presenting a report from a smuggler contact that the Millennium Falcon is in orbit around Endor. Thrawn is convinced that anywhere the Falcon is must be where Leia is, so he orders the Star Destroyer to depart for Endor immediately from the Nogri planet. Uh, Playon asks if they should take Kabarak with them, and Thrawn launches into another well-thought-out-but-totally-wrong chain of reasoning. Uh, and I agree, I, Ronnie, your theory that Zahn has purposely nerfed Thrawn for this one is really just every time more and more, I think, being being proved true. <laughs> because, like, he goes on this whole thing about, like, aha, so if they're at Endor, that was, they did that to distract me, for, or they sent... You know, they, they, they interrogated Karabakh and then sent him back to distract me from whatever they're doing on Endor. Aha! I got them now. Just completely wrong end of the stick. Um, but then another report comes in from the Star Destroyer Adamant in the Abrogado system that they have captured one of Talon Card's freighters with a short interrogation report. 
and Thrawn is pleased. So I know we've moved ahead, that, but I, I was just looking yeah. at my copy of the ebook, and I want to highlight a passage that I found pretty funny. Uh, back back oh, yeah. when we were still dealing with Han, there's a point where uh, Cena or Brianna Joy Gray, I remember, threatens to kill uh, uh, Han if he like fucks over Bernie Sanders, and, and Han just has the most hilarious reaction. Uh, Han held her gaze, considering what to say, to remind her perhaps that he'd been attacked by bounty hunters and interstellar criminals, shot at by inter- Imperial stormtroopers, and tortured at the direction of Darth Vader himself. To, to suggest that after all that, a threat coming from someone like Cena was too laughable to even take seriously. It was like, <laughs> remember all those things that happened in Star Wars? Imagine me being threatened by a woman. <laughs> yeah, that's a weird, like... Because, I mean, by all counts, like, she appears to be a very competent military officer. Like, I would and take I also seriously. thought, like, remember that time we got frozen in carbonite? That kind of sucked. <laughs> remember that time we got captured and tortured? Uh, that was, yeah. You're you like really art for a, your feet you were like time. art for a fat man's palace. Mm-hmm. Hey, remember that time you got jealous of uh, your girlfriend because you thought she was in love with her brother? I mean, come on, Han. You, you weren't exactly... You know, star of the show in, uh, fucking in the movies. Family guy ass writing. <laughs> hey Lois, remember hey, Lo- the time? Uh... <laughs> remember the time we were on Jabba's sail badge? I'm sure that is a cutaway joke, actually on the on the actual show. You, pr- I would, you, I would not be surprised. Don't you remember that they did an entire series of Star Wars parodies? Oh yeah, I'm just saying that on the also on the regular seasons. They oh, I'm sure there's like, they've done that joke like forty times. Yeah, yeah. Also, anyway. uh, <laughs> also, Ronnie anti recommend those Star Wars specials. They're the unfunniest things I've ever seen. That's uh, well, that's good to know. Good to know. One of them guest that's stars. One... one of them guest stars human scumbag uh, Rush Limbaugh. In case you, in case you're thinking that Seth MacFarlane's a uh, a staunch liberal. Ugh. But anyway, uh, back to uh, back like, to Thrawn and and uh, and uh, and his Colonel Clinkian uh, misunderstandings. <laughs> That's right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna I think we're gonna have some more coming up in a bit. Yeah, actually, because we have again we have characters interacting in Chapter Seventeen. This is thrilling stuff, everybody, uh, because we we join Mara Jade on Abrogado, of course, where Thrawn just received that interrogation report. Uh, Mara Jade is unimpressed with the facelift that the local heavy-handed copocracy has pulled off on the uh, the scum uh, pit of villainy and whatever. Uh, she makes her way to Landing Pit Twenty One, where sits the Ether Way. Did you say this was Chapter run. Seventeen? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, they're in like space. Uh, what was this? Uh, Thailand or something? This was Space Palestine. Okay. Remember with the with the religious group that's in the hills and can't get food. I was thinking like the, I was thinking this was like a kind of place where you get the death penalty if you like do drugs. Oh yeah, you're thinking of Singapore. Oh yeah, that place that right yeah, wingers yeah, want yeah. us to be like <laughs> that they think is just the best in the world. <laughs> uh yes. Well, hey, you would um, believe that too if you spent a week in San Francisco. Hey, buddy, I, I'm I'm right here in the heart of a deep red state, so I know what good governance is. It's giving timber companies whatever they want. That's that's how you make a good society. 
Oh, but we're not here to we're not here to talk about Alabama and the big mules around here. We're, we got we got it's time to get off into the land of fantasy where a lady is trying to get her vehicle out of impound. <laughs> so she makes her way to landing pit 21 where sits the Etherway, Talon card ship that Fintorv left behind back in Heir to the Empire. And I do like that Timothy is bothering to tie up a loose end from the previous book that shows integrity. Uh, it's also chair, like, you know, Tim, what next is are we going to get a fucking chapter dedicated to C-3PO filling out a W-2? <laughs> but hey, no, this is, this is a good opportunity for interaction with characters because sitting in a chair at the foot of the ship's ramp is a dark-haired man with an irritatingly good attitude. Nice day for flying. Interested in hiring a ship? Mara plays at Koi, asking what model of ship it is. This is the cue for them to begin the code word dance as apparently quibbling over whether it's a 917 or a 903 is their little code thing. It confirms that he's the New Republic contact making the handoff, you know, because Han promised to get the, the, the ship back to Talon. Mara asks if he's had any trouble, and the man assures her that the bribe he paid made it all go down smooth, and he introduces himself. It's Wedge Antilles! That's right. He's, he's the Republic man for sitting around near where smuggler stuff happens. <laughs> that is, he has done that for at least two times. In the trilogy so far. This is Zahn yet again using the phrase cloak and, uh, cloak and blade, which yes, I really just focused on this time because I'm thinking to myself, they have to have daggers in Star Wars. Come on. It really, it really, it jumps out. But Ronnie, I'm happy to tell you. It's just, just too search. cute by half. I just did a tech. I just did a text search in the ebook. This is the last time it shows up in this book. So. We'll, we'll find out in we'll, like we'll the wait. third book he's gonna use dagger in a di- different context. We're gonna get pissed off. <laughs> we're gonna have we're gonna have problems. Like I don't uh, know. Like yeah. Leia's gonna be like staring daggers at Han and gonna be like, "God damn it, right, Zahn! Right. We we already established this." Um, but anyway, so so uh, Mara declines. You know, Wedge offers to uh, escort her in his X-wing, but Mara declines, as that of course would be pretty you know conspicuous. Um, but adds that Han wanted him to ask her. If your people would be interested in selling information on, quote, our friend with the eyes. This is a way of being, you know, circumspect. Uh, Mara says only that she'll pass that request along to Talon Card and she powers up the ship. I guess the the guy with the eyes is a better description than that blue skinned freak. That (laughs) I I, would have gone with something like that, uh, that greaser hair loser. Uh because on all the all the all the old Thrawn art has him with like a almost like a pompadour style kind of slick back haircut. Daniel, uh, you ever consider the fact that this is probably going to be like like downloads after this episode are just going to go precipitously downhill because we've reached the peak of the of really the trilogy in which we finally had Wedge Antilles meet Mara Jade, which is really like the <laughs> crux of the series. Like it's what everyone's been really... waiting for. And there's and the sparks. Oh, the fireworks are flying between those two. Also, I, I like I like how uh, this twist works works uh, because Zahn is so bad at descriptions. Because like anyone else, like describing this guy, people would be like, "Oh, well, that's clearly Wedge Antilles." But Zahn is so bad <laughs> right. at describing characters. It's like, well, gee, that could be Wedge. That could be Jabba the Hutt. It could be, I don't know. Uh, Screen actor James Cromwell. I don't fucking know. Yeah, I mean, like uh, that's true. It could be Han Solo for all that. Like a guy with dark hair. I mean, it's you know, it could be anybody. Yeah, you're right. It only works because of Zahn's commitment 
to allowing the reader to fill in the details themselves. Um, looking to get out of Abrogado fast, Mara pushes the ship's engines to get her going and starts the hyperdrive cycle, but not in time to avoid the massive bulk of a Victory-class Star Destroyer looming straight at her. Stuck between the Star Destroyer and the planetary mass of Abrogado, she knows escape is out of the question. The Star Destroyer demands she shut down and prepare to be brought aboard over the comm system, but Mara, she has an idea. She's all in on cooperating because she needs to speak with their captain and set up a meeting with Thrawn. It kind of throws the comms operator a little bit. You know, she's like, oh yeah, you got it, no problem. <laughs> and so... But before uh, we go further, I just want to note my favorite part of the the Wedge uh, Mara Jade meeting in which she guesses that he's a B-Wing pilot and he goes, X-Wing. It's like, is there like some sort of subtext there? It's like... I I guess maybe like, uh, I don't know, maybe he has the dweeby Milhousean affect of a B-Wing pilot rather than the, the dashing uh, sandy-haired affect of an X-Wing pilot, perhaps? Like she's guessing that he's three, three and a half inches, but it's like, brusquely going no it's it's a six <laughs> maybe, so. maybe I, I, so i'm a grower not a shower yeah yeah uh, <laughs> so so uh, uh mara gets put on the horn with the captain of the star destroyer and uh she just goes ahead and cops to being part of talon card's smuggling operation but says she has valuable information to sell this captain is still uh, iffy on her, so she drops a recognition code for the admiral, saying, like, hey, send this recognition code to the admiral. And uh, when asking what her name is, say, he knew me as the Emperor's Hand. So that's enough to get her brought on board. And then the Star Destroyer hauls ass to Endor, the site of Mara Jade's life's undoing? Oh, she has major feelings about this. It's uh, really well, devastating. There's but only Thrawn... like eight planets to go to, so you got. <laughs> it's like it's well, Hoth is a bit too cold. Tatooine's a bit too hot. Yeah. Endor's just right. Right, right. Amara thinks it's personal because she so Thrawn is going to give her an audience, a personal audience. So she's she's in with Thrawn right now, and she immediately jumps in hot. This is why did you bring me to Endor? <laughs> Thrawn, the glowing eyes narrowed. I beg your pardon? <laughs> it's like, you heard me, she said. Endor, where the Emperor died. Why did you choose this place for the rendezvous? Um, he says that it's, it's, it's on unconnected business. He's not out to personally insult her. Uh, but Thrawn wants proof. I wanted to hunt some is. Ewoks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was just looking to, you know, just put those, do a little Put those shooting. little bears on my wall. <laughs> Thrawn, Thrawn wants proof that she is who she says she is beyond this recognition. Yeah, that would, that would be a good, uh, that would be a good, like, new dimension of the Thrawn character. He's also, like, a big game hunter, but of, like... Oh, yeah, like know, a trophy hunter. He's a trophy hunter, but of, like, fucking Star Wars aliens. Like, he's got a head of an, he's got a head of an Ewok, a Tusken Raider, uh, the, the fucking, uh, Twi'lek, the... Etc. He's got like uh, he's got a Jawa skin rug, but it's it's just like a little. He's got a Greedo. He's definitely got a Greedo. He's got a yak face. He's got a actually a Jawa skin skin rug would be great because we don't actually know what Jawas look right like, right? Yeah, that's why I thought it'd be funny. Just yeah, yeah, lay a robe down and call it Jawa skin. Yeah, they're actually surprisingly silky. (laughs) Is that in Wikipedia? I I don't know. I'm I'm just making. Oh, you're. 
You're spitballing. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but to kind of, to, to Mara to get thrown to trust that she is who she says she is reminds him of a time that they actually met at a, some kind of like ribbon cutting ceremony at the Imperial Palace where she was introduced as Liana the Dancer, but later on at a private ceremony for Thrawn's secret promotion to Grand Admiral, the Emperor introduced her with her true identity. Uh, I think like three episodes so, back, I made the comparison between the Emperor and, and Mara Jade to Hugh Hefner and a Playboy body, and this is not helping that. No, like, I just think like yeah. yeah, I actually met you once at the, uh, the Palpatine Mansion, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was the 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 after party, you know, like uh, Steve McQueen had the uh, after party for the premiere of The Great Escape there, and I, I met you there. Uh, Debbie Reynolds was real, making an ass of herself. It was hilarious. And anyway. it gets worse as <laughs> as uh, this chapter goes on in terms of like the unfortunate uh, comparisons. Yeah, uh, that actually, yeah, that will come up here just shortly. Um, but I but do Thrawn love how little... I do love how uh, like extended the whole like prove that you are who you say you are. It's like you have to like remember what Thrawn was wearing and what she was wearing, and it's like yeah, like there are only like three Jedi left in the whole galaxy. Like how much mind trickery could you come to expect? I mean, she she looks like that chick you remember at the Playboy Mansion. Isn't that enough? <laughs> right uh, but Thrawn gives her a little grief for waiting so long to come in from the cold and back to the Empire but Mara doesn't want to discuss that uh, Thrawn hints that what she wants to avoid discussing is why she helped Luke Skywalker escape and then she gets the the, the Emperor's voice shouting in her ear you will kill Luke Skywalker yeah that's like was shaken. that the Emperor or is he just developing schizophrenia as Ma- yeah I mean well you know Mara's you know probably a little both uh, she's shaken, but pulls it together. And well, I mean, it wasn't I mean, her force idea. sensitivity is basically just sca- uh, space schizophrenia. Oh, easily. Oh, yeah. I You're mean, a bunch George of voices is of dead that. people, and they tell you to do things. Sometimes and they tell you, you that somebody's your sister, and it gives you actual, literal, real mind powers. Like in real life. Like in real life. Like in that movie, uh, the uh, what was that movie? The Boy Who Could Fly. Where there was that kid with like psychological problems, but then at the end he really could fly. I was thinking was like of that, that John Travolta movie Phenomenon, where he like. There's also that. Yeah. I was about to say the John Travolta movie Michael, but that was the one where he was an angel. Boy, there are a lot of bad John Travolta movies in the '90s. He really like. Yeah. Uh, you he know, really fumbled that post uh, Pulp Fiction bag, except for like Face Off. Anyway, we're not here to talk was... about John Travolta unless he like to, <laughs> he like puts on some prosthetics and becomes a monster man in like uh, Star Wars skeleton crew or whatever. Uh, we're here to exactly. talk. Uh, yeah. We're talking about the tete a tete between Thrawn and Mara Jade, which is, for my money, the most interesting uh, conversation in the entire book thus far because well, you don't it, really it has... know you don't really know what Mara Jade's actual motivations are if. Like she's being genuine about wanting to defect back to the Empire, or if she's like pulling another con, or or like what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and and there's also actual stakes, which I think is you know important for gathering the reader's interest. Uh, but Mara makes her demands. She uh, like for her part of the deal, Thrawn calls off 
the uh, the black spot on card, plus deposits three million credits, good for purchases within the empire. Uh, in exchange, he gets the katana fleet. Yes, the katana fleet. The Dark Force, if you prefer the more dramatic title, Mara says. Is Dark Force boy, really that more dramatic than Katana? I what's really funny is that they are both like the most like Stupid Mall Mall Samurai idea of cool. <laughs> it's like, like a couple weeks yeah, ago this... when I when I sent you that picture of the that place in my my uh, local mall called like the Otaku House. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, there's a lot of, like, fucking Katana fleets there, if you know what I mean. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people saying, like, or the Dark Force, if you prefer. Uh, no, I Thrawn don't Demures. prefer it. Yeah, well, I do. Uh, Thrawn demures and hints that uh, he can just torture the information out of her or Card, and Mara tries to pull rank as Emperor's hand. Then Thrawn negs her by knowing that, yeah, you know, you're an Emperor's hand, but that you're more of a glorified courier than anything else. Just like the rest of his hands. I was like, but but Hef said I was the one. (laughs) Hef said I was the best bunny. And Uh, and then then Thrawn counters, you are aware that there are 12 months in the calendar and like just because you're Miss March does not mean there's not a Miss February and a Miss (laughs) April. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sadly so. This uh, Mara just can't help but getting psychologically beaten up all the time here. Um, but it does raise like, that, a question of, like, if there are other Emperor's hands, like, where are they? Right, right. That's uh, I. She may be special in that she's the only one who had, like, force sensitivity. And the other ones really were just bunnies for the disgusting old man. I'm but, sure uh, they all had their own particular talents, Daniel. I'm sh- what? It's sure, like, sure. It's like the Miss America pageant where they have to like display a, a talent like singing or or whatever, and they also or have to like be asked in, about like you know what what uh, what would they do to solve the crisis of the Middle East? Exactly, and it would be you know Americans more and more. Um, well, some some comms break in to let the admiral know that their search of the Millennium Falcon is completed. And it will be brought aboard the Chimera. Um, at this moment, Thrawn agrees to Mara's terms, giving her eight days to travel back to Card to get the location and return to him. And I thought this was interesting. Like, Thrawn has a lot of plates spinning with his timing right now because he's zoomed away from the Nogri planet to Endor. But the Nogri planet, he's like, Karabakh is going to have his like time in the stocks is going to be up. In a few days, but he's also at Endor, and so then he tells Mara Jade she has eight days to return to Card and then come back to Endor to give him like what the the terms of the deal are going to be. Then presumably he's going to go directly back to the Nogri planet. It just seems like I don't know if I was planning out my trip, I would not have so much of my kind of chronology dependent on someone else making it in time, you know. But that's that's just me. I, I I'm a bit of a stickler. For those things. I do like how when uh, they bring Poyan into the scene, he's like wistful about the Dark Force. It's like, you know, I once had hopes of finding the fleet myself, and then Thrawn goes, Most everybody your age did. It's like but that's some <laughs> weird like boomer dream. Like <laughs> I mean it's, following a guru, it's, it's, finding the Dark Force. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's probably going to be like how like seeing you know, Hendrix. In it's all on. It's all on your fucking list. It's going to be like how uh, being interested in the Titanic as a kid is a way to date yourself as having been a kid during the late '80s and '90s because that's when they found the wreck and it was like a thing. Uh, <laughs> but. But right on the heels of now uh, all, all this kid, now, now kids on TikTok are telling you that uh, Titanic didn't happen. Yeah, That's the Titanic didn't happen. And also, uh, mesas are the remains of gigantic trees. And that's all and true. And Helen Keller was faking it. Helen Keller was faking it. Um, that was absolutely true. Because, of course, Helen Keller was a devoted, uh, committed, and thoughtful socialist. And as we all know, uh, being a socialist is ableism. It's ableism to do that. Uh, it will not she solve... She would have voted uh, for Eugene Debs a third time if she could. <laughs> she would have. She would have. But that's also why she's fake. Um, but on the heels of this interaction, Thrawn reveals to play on another interesting wrinkle. In analyzing the recording of the new Cove incident, Thrawn determined that the dreadnoughts, which covered the Lady Lux escape, were also from the Katana fleet. See, Thrawn also had a, a bit of a train guy phase with the katana fleet because he was able to tell that they were slave rigged dreadnoughts from just this footage with card's story of escaping imperial customs enforcement you know back when he found it thrawn now knows enough to start narrowing down the records to find that exact incident and from there to determine where card's damaged ship put in for repairs so with those two pieces of information he can start narrowing down the location of the katana fleet furthermore he instructs Palayan to, full, to pull Nyer's fer, the Niles Farrier off of the Bell Iblis job and concentrate on tracking Han Solo and Lando. Thrawn is practically smacking his lips at the prospect of two separate leads on the Katana fleet. Boy, I wonder how it's going to blow up in his face once Hogan gets one over on him this time. <laughs> it is going to be funny. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, like, is he going to... I mean, we, well, we can we can place our bets. Is uh, our Han and Lando going to paint a tunnel on a brick wall, and Thrawn is going to run into it? And I don't boy, think it's beyond possibility. If you think these Hogan's Heroes references are out of place and obnoxious now, just wait until I break into my newly purchased box set of the entire series and start watching <laughs> them. You're gonna every conversation with you is gonna be like, you know, this is a lot like Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> yep, it'll be that and Magnum PI. Which I also I'm gonna... <laughs> purchased recently. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm the gonna the original like series, not the not the woke one that's that's uh, airing now. What? Yeah, he doesn't they even have a new Magnum PI. He, he doesn't even have a mustache. It's absurd. Is he a sexy guy? I mean, he's fine. It's the guy who played the the uh, El Diablo in Suicide Squad. But I mean, he's no Tom Selleck. I guess, yeah. That's well. Uh, at least he's kind of a sexy guy still. That reminds me uh, of a of a good joke from uh, from uh, the last uh, Simpsons episode because Homer's in hell and like Stalin says something to him and and uh, Homer goes, "Shut up, Tom Selleck." That is pretty good. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we're in our hell right. of our own making with uh, with uh, Dark Force Rising. We are because it's time for chapter eighteen, and you know we've had a lot of we've had a lot of pizza and ice cream so far in the show. We've been having a really good time, but Ronnie, it's time to buckle down and eat your vegetables because we're back on the no green planet. 
And I'm going to break uh, in right now and say that I need to get a drink of water, so I will be back in 15 seconds. All right, fantastic. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Ronnie is going to go get a drink of water. He notified me of this possi- this potentiality uh, earlier before we started recording, and I, I told him I would cut out this part of the podcast while he was going to get the water. But really, this is a good chance for me to talk to you, the audience, directly. Uh, I'm a little worried about Ronnie. He's been talking about Hogan's Heroes too much. This Magnum PI stuff, boy, I just I don't know. He's slipping further and further away into garbage TV. And I just don't think there's anything I can do to stop it. Uh, oh, hi, Ronnie. Are yeah, you I, guess, I guess we can't all be watching, like, fucking uh, 50-year-old British men uh, finding, like, fossils of some guy who died in 1830. <laughs> Look, Time Team is amazing. And we'll not, you know what? We'll make that a debate segment on a future show. Um, Time Team, <laughs> a show that sounds more interesting than it actually is. It suggests that it's, like, about a team of people that travel through time, but instead it's a bunch of... Fusty old limeys uh, uh, taking uh, taking one of those little uh, brushes to bones. Yeah. Well, hey, whoa. I mean, bone. If you get bones, that's a really exciting episode. Most most of the time, they're dealing with dirty old pieces of pot, <laughs> which are also thrilling and fascinating. No, no, it's great because you travel in time through via your imagination. It's great. Exactly. No, it's it's terrific. Uh, but we're back on that, the you, planet, that, as my notes. You have like real like kid who wasn't allowed to have toys energy to you. <laughs> like no, the imagination is the best toy possible. <laughs> uh, I did I did have toys, but maybe this this bears examination on the old psychoanalyst couch. Uh, yeah, this Ronnie, whole podcast we, we, is really just an unraveling of the psyche of Daniel Dottie. I mean, that's what every podcast I do is. I mean, that's, you know, I, but you know, I, I, uh, I, every time when I fire up the microphone, you know, I start up audacity, I'm just looking to figure out a little bit, another little aspect of a funny little muddle called me, you know, that's and why, uh, that's why you're, in, you're here uh, with in me. international territories, this podcast is known as what if Nosgard had gout? <laughs> My gouty struggle. By Daniel Dalsgaard. Oh, God. All right, all right, all right. Well, enough about my my uh, uh, alternatingly warm and cold and ultimately befuddling relationship with my father, which I think is what that book is about. Anyway, um, let's jump into the pile of shit known as the Nogri just chirping at Leia for endless pages. Yeah. Uh, so my notes for Chapter 18 lead off with, back with Leia and Chewie on the Nogri planet for more crap I don't care about. I think that about covers it, right? Just kidding. I got to talk about it. We got to see what's going on. I mean, on. I, Chimera I guess has... we have to talk about it, because otherwise uh, the listeners would be in the dark as to what the Nogri are up to, and they couldn't have that. Because I'm sure they, the Nogri be... won't just be a subplot that goes nowhere. Exactly. They would at, They would be groping blindly, as crew members must do in the interior, the Ill, ill-lit interior spaces of the Dark Force. Um. But let us provide some light. The Chimera has fucked off to Endor, uh, but planning to return for Karabakh after his eight days of public humiliation. Thrawn seems to be... Uh, well, oh, I, I, so I already talked about that, that he's running kind of tight timetables with this. Uh, but anyway, uh, while Leia and Chewie are trying to work out an escape plan, and they're coming up with nothing, 
3PO has been chatting up the decontamination droids and getting more information about them. Uh, using that, yeah, he's going Chewie like hips or lips. <laughs> right. Uh, but uh, using Remember, that, so C-3PO Chewie... is prissy, folks. He's a bit of a priss. He's prissy. Oh, I did another word search on the word priss and prissy. It never shows up again in the book, sadly. Probably got to talk think, to I think you maybe... from Betsy. Right, Betsy gave him <laughs> Betsy gave him what for? And he was like, okay, just let me have one. I've been one up it's top. It's the 90s, Tim. <laughs> we can't be talking like that about droids. <laughs> you know how many people um, have died of AIDS? Yeah, oh boy, yeah, that would have been. Yeah, especially galling to be doing prissy stuff in 1991. Oh, Timothy. I'm just mad anyway. act up picketing like fucking Lucas Ranch. <laughs> they'd be they'd be picketing uh the the sizzler in Tampa. They just do a fucking <laughs> die in dressed as like fucking Star Wars characters. Oh boy. <laughs> we're we're lucky it never came to that. Um See, where else can you get like fucking act up jokes about Star Wars? <laughs> about Star Wars. That's why that's why we're the most beloved podcast on the internet. Uh by a by a large margin. Um so Chewbacca has now estimated that the decontamination job on the Nogri planet should have been completed years ago, before even the Battle of Endor. Uh, so see, I was telling y'all, this is just like the International Monetary Fund stuff. They set up these loans that countries can't actually pay off to keep them strung along and in the uh, economic orbit of uh, the North Atlantic powers. That's exactly what, uh, what Thrawn is doing here. The matriarch is unconvinced that the Imperials are stringing them along. She's she still thinks that you know everything's on its level best, but the matriarch asks after their plan, assuring her that stealing a starship should be no problem for Darth Vader's daughter. Uh, Leia says that the hard part will be having to take Karabak with them, and this absolutely scandalizes the matriarch because, of course, Karabak has to go through his ritual humiliation that is the way it is done like they just had they just like got their fucking forest lasered by the grand admiral for insisting that this happen but uh leia says she's done letting people and worlds be destroyed for her sake and the matrox sees honor in this This is actually a weird uh, this is a weird emotional dimension because one of the criticisms of the original star wars is that like Leia really doesn't seem that affected by her home planet blowing up. You know? Yeah. It's kind of like... Yeah, and her whole family. Luke really gets into his feelings about an old man he met last afternoon dying (laughs) in front of him, but Leia, like, blows off her entire planet blowing up. Yeah, she's uh, she's ready This struck me as... Like, I don't think it's a bad uh, moment, but it did strike me as, like, a course correction. It's like, oh, yeah, we should probably... Like, factor Alderaan into her uh, internal mechanisms. But I just yeah, want yeah, yeah, yeah. to also uh, go back to a weird uh, uh, back and forth I want to highlight. Uh, basically, Leia condescends to the matriarch and says, uh, You and many of your people speak basic better than I anticipated. The Grand Admiral has taught us well. As did my father, the Lord Darth Vader, before him, Leia reminded her. And I'm just thinking... That's a scene I could never imagine. Uh, Darth Vader <laughs> teaching teaching language to a, a bunch of monster people. So a bunch of needle tooth freaks. Like he's up there, like you know, like with the away. fucking space blackboards. Like, 
Uh, this is A, this is B, this is C. But it's like a James <laughs> Earl Jones' is like fucking uh, voice. <laughs> he's he's up there like, you know, doing his doing his wheezy Darth Vader voice. Mayamo Darth. <laughs> and like, Mayamo and we Darth. know from the the original trilogy that uh, Darth Vader is the kind of guy that has the level of patience to deal with people learning a new language. It's not a case That's of exactly like right. immediately force choking somebody who doesn't conjugate the verb correctly. Well, that's how you get the rest of them to learn better. Have you never taken a Latin class? That's how that works. Latin's a dead language, <laughs> so I didn't learn it. Uh, I prefer, uh, hello, it's on, I prefer it's on useful dual. languages like French. Oh, well, yeah. Well, hey, that'll, that'll actually, that's very useful around a lot of parts of uh, Africa, thanks to imperialism. So, you know, that's actually a good language to learn. Um... Anyway, so uh, Matrix sees honor in this, agrees to help them bust Kabarak out and steal a starship in two days' time when the moons of Honogur are at their darkest. So maybe I, something will I actually fucking happen. I do like how they assume that, that she's able to steal a starship because she's the daughter of Darth Vader. It's like... Yeah, did Darth Vader steal starships? Was that one of the things he taught <laughs> the no Green? But also, it's not like she was <laughs> raised imagine. by Darth Vader. She was raised by a completely different set of adoptive parents. It's like... It's not like, oh, uh, you're you're hereditarily uh, good at stealing starships. Right, and again, right, to your point, yeah. Darth Vader not known for stealing starships. Yeah, like when was the last time he needed to steal a starship? Uh, when he was eight, and he stole that one fighter to go zoom around in space. Even Come on. so, that's not canon with these books, so you can't include it as evidence. That's true. That's true. So I guess maybe um, according, maybe in these books we'll get like some fucking uh, extended American graffiti riff about him as a ne'er-do-well teenager like, <laughs> boosting uh, spaceships. Uh, maybe so. Maybe so. Um, Space but we graffiti. get to the best part. We get to the... You, you've seen that uh, someone posted it on Twitter, that uh, huge page of uh, notes from the producers on American Graffiti of alternate titles to use. Yeah. I think one of uh, them was Dark favorite... Force Rising. One of them was Dark Force Rising. I think my favorite of those was uh, Buddies No More, which is a really, really good title for a movie, and I hope somebody goes with it. Um, that, seems like a, but we... that seems like a Japanese translation of American Graffiti. It's like, friends <laughs> become not friends by the end. That's right. What was that? What was that series of Yakuza dramas? Uh, uh, Wars without honor. You know, it's kind of like that. Wars without know. honor and humanity. Wars without honor and humanity. Yes, thank you. Um, but anyway, we get to the best part of this section of the book: cutting away from Nogri Planet, because we're oh, back to the God. Lady Luck. Yeah, where Winter is chatting on the comms through a scrambled channel. Uh, Han is asking her about the political situation, which is mostly as they left it. The Imperials are sniping at shipping lines. Phalia is trying to horn into Akbar's position as defense minister. And Mon Mothma is stalling him. There's no word from Leia, but Winter has, says that she has heard from Luke, who wants to rendezvous with them on New Cove. Han asks why, and Winter says, uh, uh, the message didn't say, just that he would meet you at the, quote, money-changing center, end quote. That just seems like an anti-Semitic Lando. slur. <laughs> it does. 
That sounds like something something uh, perhaps would have been hurled at Senator Bell Eblis during the primaries. Yeah, why don't you go back to your <laughs> money changing center center? <laughs> the money changing center. Uh, Lando explains to the rather confused Han about the Mishra bar incident before they you know met up on New Cove. Winter herself seems satisfied that this proves that the communication was from Luke, since it uh, but since it came from an unencrypted text message rather than any kind of like live communication. Uh, and this adds to my theory that I think Winter is the leaky boat. I think Winter is the the Imperial agent because nobody's this stupid to like. It's like, oh yeah, he didn't actually call. It was a text message. Well, it wasn't really. I a think text you message. underestimate. It was an unencrypted email. On. I mean, characters I can get yeah. pretty damn stupid in this book. Well, that's true. That's true. We'll have to see. Uh, is Zahn clever, uh, or is uh, this just bad writing? I'm sorry. I, Timothy Zahn would never do bad writing. Is it? I feel like that's the tension between everything we do with this podcast. Like, <laughs> is he like playing three dimensional chess, or is he playing like Pac Man? <laughs> that is that is the real question, and that's one of the reasons why. I, I hesitate to make any predictions about this book because uh, who knows when the next like clever twist and or, oh, so that was his brain dead as it seems on the surface uh, is going to happen. Uh, Lando convinces Han that, yeah, they should probably check it out just in case it's legit. Uh, and he had had the, uh, he had had the, the thinking ahead to alter the Lady Lux navigation call signs to call his ship Tamar's Folly. Uh, since, of course, the New Cove authorities would probably not be happy with them since they blasted their way out of the spaceport last time. Uh, I think there's nothing more, land... disgusting than, nothing more disgusting than the phrase pleasure yacht. Pleasure yacht is pretty bad. That's, uh, that, that's uh, like you just yachts... fucking you just fucking turn on one of those uh, luminol flashlights and you just can see the calm everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, uh, scene boarding pleasure yacht is kind of the you know the the last known whereabouts of like Alan Dershowitz's you know third or fourth wife. Uh. Oh yeah, did you see who was on <laughs> anyway. the uh, pleasure yacht logs? It was uh, Noam Chomsky. <laughs> hey, speaking of a Star Wars name, Noam Chomsky. I mean, there was uh, yeah, that, there I... was that famous uh, monkey uh, Nim Chimsky. Nim Chimsky, that's right at the language lab. Um. But they start down the ramp uh, from the Lalek and realize they won't have to head all the way to the Mishra to meet who called them there. Because guess who's waiting? Niles Farrier! Everyone's favorite character in Dark Force Rising. Classic Zon, uh, uh, classic Zon description. Okay, now, <laughs> Niles Farrier is apparently a bulky man in an ornate tunic, chewing on the end of a cigarra. Yes. Which is tabac, not tobacco. Yeah. It's not very... Again, we don't even get a color of the clothing. It's really stupid. I mean, not stupid. Zahn is a master of uh, uh, parsimony <laughs> with his descriptions. Yeah, I mean, dude, uh, he could have just said he was in a tunic, but he made the he made the extra effort of saying it was an ornate tunic. It's an ornate tunic. What sort of decorations? No one knows, but it is ornate. Uh, a back and forth ensues with a lot of cloak and blade type scheming. Farrier is ostensibly offering the New Republic a line on the Katana fleet. 
But while they're talking, Han thinks he sees something out of the corner of his eye back toward the Lady Luck, but uh, he turns around, doesn't catch anything when he turns. This wrangling continues, and Farrier points out that if they don't work together to find the line on the Katana fleet, the Empire will beat them to it. Uh, and, uh, you know, Han asks, well, what makes you think the Empire is involved? And Farrier slips, and he says, with Grand Admiral Thrawn in charge over there, he's involved in everything. Aha! Han gives him a lopsided smile as Farrier realizes he just gave away Thrawn's name for free. And again, I do feel like the military leader of one of two major military powers in the galaxy is not a fucking secret. There is no way that's a secret. On the other hand, on the other hand, can you name right off the top of your head the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff? No, but I can name the fucking president. Yeah, but I mean, some the guy. president is like Emperor Palpatine. I mean, speaking of like old mummies, Joe <laughs> Biden. Like, we won't be talking about uh, space mummies like Joe Biden. Um, I just think this is a, I don't know. I think this of, is stupid. Uh, Emperor's hands, if you know what I mean. No. Uh, but these negotiations all break down as Lando doesn't trust any of it. And good thing, too. This is a this is like diminishing returns because it seems like this is the third chapter in a row where, like a group of people are like uh, negotiating about the terms of like getting the dark force, and it's like okay, like uh, Bernie Sanders and Han Solo compelling, Mara Jade and Thrawn compelling, Han Lando having to talk <laughs> Han to Solo Niles, again. Niles Crane. It's like right. I don't give a shit about this. Bulky man in an ornate tunic. Yeah. Smoking a cigar. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but Lando, he has a bad feeling about all of it. And he's like, no, nah, we're fucking off. Goodbye. Uh, as they're lifting off, Lando identifies a homing beacon attached to Lady Luck. So cloak and blade style, Lando decides to leave it on until they get to their next stop on the way to Pentalamin to try to find the Dark Force ship dealer on the casino submarine. And I really enjoyed writing that sentence. That that felt pretty Star Wars-y. Um, but as the Lady Luck lifts off, Farrier looks on, and he asks his shadow alien henchman, you're sure they won't find the second beacon? It turns out that what Han thought he saw out of the corner of his eye was the, the shadow alien guy, the Wraith. So they get back onto their ship to track Han and Lando. And Niles uh, closes out the chapter by saying, we've got ourselves a fortune to make. And maybe a smart-mouthed gambler to take out. The end of chapter 18. Well, there we have it, Ronnie. That's our that's our chapter wrap-up for this episode. I may be repeating myself uh, from previous episodes, but I really question uh, the inclusion of a shadow monster to the Star Wars mythos. Yeah, I don't think it really hangs with it. Uh I think it could fit in with, like, the Star Wars stories that are more, like, wizardly magic-inflected. Like that Ewoks movie, where there's, like, a literal, like, witch or some shit. That I could see happening. You know, if it's like, oh, you know what they were doing with the Ewoks? They were trying to make Willow in Star Wars is what they were doing. I just realized. Wow, that's stupid. Uh, They're trying to just give jobs to little people. They were trying to give jobs to little people, you're right. Uh, Dude, like, and, the and fucking, those those fucking Ewoks movies must have employed, like, 30% of that population. 
I mean, it was probably a boom time to be a, a little person working in the entertainment industry. That's that's for sure. So I got yeah, I can't fault him on that. Um, yeah. So we're again. I think this is continuing the upward swing that the book is on. I feel like we're maintaining. I don't think it surpassed you know where we were last time, but we were at least had. I think the least amount of Nogri bullshit. Well, yeah, there's that, and also, like, I think we're getting into, like, it's a mad, 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 mad world territory where it's, like, (laughs) six interested parties all in search of one item. Right, right, we got a a big MacGuffin chase. And, like, like, maybe I wasn't, like, uh, seeing the big picture well enough, but, like, it's clear that that's what the book is about. It's, like, finding the MacGuffin, the MacGuffin being the Katana uh, fleet, and, like, all the machinations that go into, like, the characters trying to acquire, and more importantly, like, making sure others don't acquire the Katana fleet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's 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 shaping up, like, I really hope we get some madcap chase scenes. Uh, I think we could I do hope we get with, some like, uh, celebrity cameos, like the Three Stooges. We need celebrity cameos. We need, uh, fucking, what's his name? What's Sergeant Balco? Who was that guy? Uh, Sergeant Bilko. Uh, Sergeant Bilko, yeah. Phil... Uh, to do like a little... Do like his little... Uh, his little bits. Ah, oh, come on. Who... Jesus. Phil Silvers. No. Phil Silvers, thank you. Jesus Christ. Oh, I was losing my mind trying to think of that. Anyway, we'll get some Phil Silvers bits. <laughs> Damning it up. I'm just glad we have the internet at our disposal so it wasn't just like uh, three minutes of deathless radio of us trying to remember like the name of the guy who played Sergeant Bilko. Trying to trying to remember like the name of a guy who, who made his name opening for Sid Caesar or some shit. It's like the beginning of Reservoir Dogs where Joe's going through his little book going, Toby, Toby, Toby. And then, you yeah. know, Mr. White takes the book away from him because he's, you know, just looking for Charlie Chan's name. Good movie, Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> I bet there's, like, some fucking cartoon episode of Star Wars where it's, like, people will tell you, oh, it's like Reservoir Dogs, but with space bullshit. Like how they always say, it's like, you know, this this uh, Star Wars, you know, nonsense for babies is actually, it's not, you know, baby nonsense. It's actually, like, about... Uh, life under an authoritarian regime, or like it's a heist film, or something like that. Now it's it's all it's all baby nonsense. If fucking Kenner is making toys out of it, it's baby nonsense. It is baby nonsense. It is it is true, but it's baby nonsense that we love, sort of, and have some sort of uh, fascination with. I guess we'll say. Well, we're white males uh, of a certain age, so we're just sort of forced to have some <laughs> relationship kind of... with it. Whether we're we kind like of it or uh, not. damned, we're we're damned by fate. It's true. But speaking of being damned by fate, uh, we have reached the portion of the show, of course, where setting aside childish things like Star Wars recaps, we engage with the most noble and powerful of all human endeavors, and that is debate. That's right, everyone. Not only is this the premier, top of the line, cream of the crop. Star Wars Novels Recap Podcast. This is also the podcast where myself, Dr. Daniel Dottie, and uh, Ronnie Gardaki 
battle it out in the arena, the realm of the forms, the platonic mental realm of ideas, thrashing and fighting like so many mental titans to come to some sort of grip on the truth, for God's sake, for fucking once. And boy, howdy, do we have a real corker for you this time. And I w- I'm going to say, we s- sometimes we do a little, like, kayfabe. Like, we'll determine who is, like, who gets what side in the debate before we record. I, I am aware of the topic, but we have not actually chosen sides for this one. So, Ronnie, what are we, what are we arguing about this time? Tim Heidecker versus Greg Turkington. Tim Heidecker, noted comedian, creator, movie critic, Greg Turkington. Guy who appeared in uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp versus the Ant-Man guy and who the appeared Wasp, in Ant-Man right. and Ant-Man the Wasp Quantumadia. <laughs> yes. A Greg Turking in a repository of movie knowledge and expertise. Uh, co-hosts of the, uh, of the television program On Cinema at the Cinema, which is a favorite of my myself and, and Ronnie. That's something that we A television have show so good it's never been on actual television. It's never actually... It, it aired on, like, Adult Swim, right? No, even then it was online only. It was purely online? Yeah. Wow. Well, they were ahead of the game, you know? Because that's the only way I watch stuff. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, so so Tim Heidecker versus Greg Turkington. Ronnie, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand it to you. Who, who do you feel the affinity for? Who would you like to defend as the superior movie head? I'm going to go with Greg Turkington because I think it's the most uh, most uh, persuasively easy case to make, and uh, I'm feeling lazy. I thought you would, and I will go with Tim Heidecker because I, well, we'll get into it, I think, in my argument. But uh, how about you go ahead first? Lay, lay it out. Why, why is Greg Turkington the superior movie head to Tim Heidecker? Well... Not only is he a superior movie head because he's a movie expert who knows like the run times of all the movies, he's a better person than Tim Heidecker because Greg Turkington is a simple man who who has a simple love of the movies, whereas Tim Heidecker has always got like some hot side hustle going. He killed twenty teenagers in the Electric Sun Festival. Greg Turkington has killed no no teenagers at any festival. Uh, Electric Sun or not, uh, Greg Turkington is a, a movie expert. As I said, he he he's always uh, able to recommend you know a movie such as Oh God or Failure to Launch. Uh, he he knows uh, intimate knowledge. Of, he knows intimate details about the filming of movies such as uh, Star Trek Two, which he'll which he'll uh, men- he'll frequently mention was shot in San Francisco. And, uh, mm-hmm. not only is he a movie expert, he's also in the movies, as I mentioned before. He appeared in Ant-Man and also Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Uh, you, you'll no <laughs> doubt, you'll no doubt mention that Tim Heidecker made a brief, inessential appearance in Ant-Man and the Wasp, but two movies outweighs one. Ipso facto. Hmm. Hmm. And does this conclude your first, uh, first essay? Well, I'll just make my conclusion that what is on cinema <laughs> if not a show about reviewing and talking about movies? Uh, hmm. Clearly, the the co-host 
with the superior movie knowledge is the preferred co-host as opposed to Tim Heidecker, who is a right-wing blowhard and a wannabe musician and wannabe energy uh, supplement seller <laughs> who, who spends most of his time not talking about the movies. It's like hmm. it's like if mm-hmm. it's like if uh, one of the hosts on Thronderdome would spend most of the time making uh, clever uh, 2016 primary and Hogan's Hero jokes instead of. Uh, <laughs> Instead of actually addressing uh, the the Star Wars uh, gleep glop nonsense that uh, that that is uh, the core of uh, Timothy Zahn's trilogy, that's true. It would be, and heaven knows that you know. I'm glad we don't have something like that. Okay, all right, all right, all you Greg heads out there, time to take you to school. So you mentioned like, oh, Greg never killed twenty teenagers at the Electric Sun you know, electronic music festival. Well, let me ask you this, Hotshot. Has Greg Turkington ever organized an electronic music festival? No, because he's a shiftless parasite. And yes, I am kind of channeling Tim Heidecker's right-wing beliefs about the deserving and undeserving when I talk this way, but I think this is pertinent. You talk about how on cinema, at the cinema, is a forum for movie discussion, right? And so Greg Turkington brings his vaunted movie expertise on the show, whatever. Do you know if uh, what would would on cinema at the cinema exist without Tim Heidecker? No. Would Greg Turkington have any forum for his warmed over bland movie opinions without the will and the iron determination of Tim Heidecker, small businessman, successful small businessman Tim Heidecker, um, former former candidate for San Bernardino County DA Tim Heidecker. Without his vision and drive, Greg Turkington would be a nobody. He is a coattails writer, and those coattails belong to the ambitious, capable, and driven, I would say Tom Cruise-like, Tim Heidecker. See, without Greg, without Tim, rather, Greg is nothing. And that just goes to show you who the real movie head is. Because what kind, what kind of movie head doesn't even bother creating their own show and graciously asking their friend to guest host on it, not co-host, guest host. Uh, of course not. Yeah, Greg. if Greg had his druthers, I'll tell you what, if Greg Turkington had his druthers, he'd just be sitting at home uh, running the uh, head cleaner cassette through his VHS, uh, through his VCR. And that's what he would do every night because he does not have the drive, the iron will to create something of lasting worth the way that Tim Heidecker has done with on the cinema at the cinema, the way Tim Heidecker has done with Dakar, the, the band, the way Tim Heidecker has done with DKR, the electronic music project, the way Tim Heidecker has done with Decker, the original uh, political thriller series. So uh, forgive me if I say that Greg Turkington is small potatoes as a movie head compared to a man who really has the vision to bring movie expertise and love of the movies to the people. Well, let's just get down to brass tacks here. I mean, you're clearly just subtweeting me at this point. <laughs> it's true. I, it didn't, I didn't create <laughs> Thronderdome. I'm technically a guest co-host because of a bunch of legal documents that you didn't let me sign. But, no, I let you sign them. I just, I didn't let you read them. But I will tell you that I am the true Star Wars expert because 
I bought these books, whereas I bought your books for you. Well, you did. That's true. You 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 did buy me that uh, that co- that hard copy of Heir to the Empire that that really kicked it all off. That got it all started. I will say at least I ha- I have also purchased all the books uh, that we've read so far because I had to purchase the first one in the 20th anniversary edition to get access to the author notes after some nerd checked it out from the library and ruined our podcast for that one episode. Um, but I do take your meaning. Um, one one thing I think that we do here on Thronderdome, especially the end of the Thronderdome segment, is that we don't make it personal. And I think this is getting a little too close to just being personal, so perhaps we should kind of back away. And uh, again, we'll let the listeners decide who who is the greatest movie head of all, Tim Heidecker or Ronnie Gardaki. I I mean I mean Greg Turkington. And uh, Ron we'll, heads we'll rise up. Make their, <laughs> make their estimation. But in the meantime, while uh, much as we trust you, the listener, to make up your own mind, as Timothy Zahn trusts you, the reader, to make up your own mind about what a spaceship looks like, uh, we'll we'll leave it in your hands. And uh, we'll leave that with you until next time, when we return for chapters 19, 20, and 21 of Dark Force Rising by Timothy Zahn. And wishing you all a zonderful evening. Good night, everybody.